0: A casual look at the history of the devil and his works throughout time. The threat to mankind is the devil. To survive this threat mankind needs to understand how the devil works. History is an unfolding of the war between good and evil. But it is more. It is a war between two systems or two ways of being. Human life is not just a type of being in terms of creatures it is a way of being human. There are two kinds of humans because there literally is two ways to be human. Every threat to man is a work of demons. Yet, the object of Satan is not to physically kill all persons on the earth, that is a diversion from the real goal. This can only be understood by understanding the devil can no more defeat or hinder God than can man. The war is between two versions of humanity. The devil works to rebirth men into one type and God is working to rebirth man into an alternative vision of what it means to be human. At some point in the maturation process, this decision is made. The devil is not supernatural in that he cannot take over nature or the bodies of men. There is demonic possession but this is not akin to an enemy force capturing a city. Nor is the devil spiritual in the way the Holy Spirit transcends time and space. But he is not human and he is not a horned person dressed in a red bodysuit. Satan is evil but he is not the caricature portrayed in movies. People tend to think the height of evil is to produce human death. If the death can be made horrific, all the better. But the goal of Satan is not to kill people, indeed death does not assist him. Like God, Satan wants converts and workers not dead bodies. Humans think of evil as a one-on-one event. We think the devil finds an unsuspecting soul and tricks him or her into a demonic transaction. The person sells his or her soul for worldly success. This is indeed a major element of the methodology of Satan but evil could not get far if Satan relied solely on personal intervention. Satan is best understood as a fatalist who works primarily through the political system. Satan is the titular head of evil humanity but it is the organization that needs to be understood. For reasons which will be explained as we go along, the political system is associated with liberalism. This does not mean conservatives and other political operatives are not involved in Satan's scheming, because they are. But the political system, in its entirety, is liberal. The church is more closely aligned with conservatism. This alignment has more to do with language than any true division between conservatives and liberal politics or between the world's churches and political parties. Indeed, That is the power of Satan. He has managed to bury what is substantial and real under what is superficial and incidental. Our way of thinking makes it difficult to conceive of something called the evil church, it appears to be a paradoxical statement. Despite understanding there is good and there is evil, we do not consider churches as being capable of evil. Churches may be thought misguided, liberal, or worldly but evil is not a word that comes to mind when discussing Christian churches. Cults that corrupt members and lead converts away from Christ are evil. Cults venture into witchcraft, idolatry, and many other things associated with cults. But Christian churches are considered to have at least the veneer of Christianity. They may have female bishops or preach the prosperity gospel or permit sexual deviants to attend without concern for their sin. We still think they are only misguided. But if evil exists why ought churches be exempt? Church is just a label someone attached to an organization. Perhaps our reticence in thinking churches can be evil, comes from reading revelations and the kinds of things these churches engaged in. Yet Jesus gave them a path forward. Revelation 3 verses 14 to 22. However, these are not meant to be representative of churches. The church of Sardis Revelation 3 verses 1 to 6 for example, is called a dead church. It would be more useful if we thought of these churches as types of Christians and the kinds of errors we can fall into. Evil had a beginning but many Christians still find it difficult to understand what was happening in Eden, in terms of what is happening now. We cannot understand the New Testament without understanding Genesis. But we cannot understand modern society without understanding Eden and other pivotal biblical events. If we do not understand what the devil was doing… Historically, it is impossible to see how he has impacted history. What we learn is that there is only one issue that concerns the devil acts. What is questioned and under attack a way of understanding the nature of humanity. This attack began with an attack on how we think of property. The Bible says that where our treasure is, there will be our hearts be also. We know that in Eden the heart of Adam and Eve was not with God, it was with what did not belong to them. They challenged God's right to his property and unknown to them they implicitly created the idea of law and a regulatory state. However, this was not fully manifested for some time. When Cain slew Abel the power of the law to justify all flesh was made manifest. The doctrine that became the fundamental proposition of every state and authority was expressed in the power of Cain. Might makes right and the end justifies the means is a belief that still motivates every authority to this day. The fact that in God's eyes the act was evil is negated in the power of Cain to kill his brother. As what was right in the eyes of God was negated in the lust of the eye in the Garden of Eden. From that day on all that mattered at least to those who follow Satan, is if it could be done. If it could be done its doing was justified. But it was in the establishment of Babylon that the power of law came into its own. All of the ideas that were percolating in the minds of man bore fruit in the mighty man, a warrior in the eyes of God. Nimrod built Babylon and gave power to the written law and the institutions which the law supports, the same institutions that are with us to this day. Apart from the code of Hammurabi, Babylon is most famous for the Tower of Babel. The story has a physical correlate. The story of the Tower of Babel is a plane out of the spiritual truths. What is important about this event and what it represents is political power. The power of law to create administrative hierarchy was foiled by the plethora of languages created by God. The tower represents political power. The goal of politics has not changed, and the law and the political process still works unwavering towards a new world order. The conflict between God and Satan is not without purpose. The conflict hides the underlying issue. It is not as if Satan thought he could be God or take over the role of creator or defeat God in a real or substantial way. But the devil gambled he could become the king of the earth. This is what the Tower of Babel represents, the devil's earthly power. But even this hides difference that is more significant. If man and God are reconciled Satan has no throne. With the confusion of languages the division between man and God could not be exploited by Nimrod. There was division between men. Satan had to find ways to overcome this division. Government became a broker, negotiating settlements between groups, for a fee. The state epitomizes the right of might. But the state also exemplifies the nature of fate, or what is called the fatalistic view of things. Satan had created the groundwork for the state in the division between God and man. There has to be division for the state to have a role to play. Satan's goal is to multiply division he contrived a new source of division in Sa'a. Sa'a's disobedience gave birth to Ismail and the rise of Islam. This division however is not bridgeable within Christian. It requires the elimination of Christianity. Satan presaged democracy with a vote that led to Jesus being executed instead of Barabbas. Christians forget this was an instance of the exercise of the popular vote. Regardless, it is democracy through which the state pushes forward its anti-Christian agenda. Everyone understands that governments were originally dictators or autocrats. We were led to believe something fundamental happened in Greece, democracy was developed. This is of course a lie perpetuated by Satan. The governments of Greece were cities with different kinds of government. The one thing they never were was democratic. In Athens a small cadre of landowners and military men debated what they ought to do with their money and power to ensure it was not lost if not added to. A small group of slave-owning landowners was supplemented with a professional army. This group made up about 10% of the population. It was an oligarchy of old, white men and their military supporters. There was no possibility of a socialist party or alien group gaining power. This is a very real possibility where there is real democracy. Over time the voting base has expanded but governments have not changed much, for various reasons. But the issue is not democracy or who gets to vote, but government. The devil has kept millions of us busy fighting over the best system of government and the best economic system, not caring much who ended up the winner. If America was a republic, Saudi Arabia a monarchy and North Korea a dictatorship, it did not matter. What was important was that the state existed. The state and the church are mortal enemies. What Satan has done is give people a chance to beat the odds. Technically evil is giving everyone a chance to beat the odds. But for this to be popularized, people must think the other person is getting away with something. People even claim God is evil. This suggests God is able to escape the consequence of his criminal activity. If God is evil or escaping the consequences of evil, then we have a good chance of avoiding consequences, also. Or so goes the thinking. We always notice the wrong people do, and we are always quicker at following the bad example than we are in following the good example. People believe that if some people are getting away with doing wrong, there is less chance of others getting caught. This is especially the case with traffic violations. We all think it is okay to speed and roll through stop signs because that is the conventional response to speed limits and stop signs. Yet, this normalizing bad behavior is not the root of our problem. After all, if we are all doing it, how evil is it? If we are normalizing bad behavior, then we are reclassifying it as acceptable. But if we are all acting in an untrustworthy way, none of us can be trusted. If we cannot be trusted we need protection. This is where the regulatory state enters the picture. It is important to understand the dynamic. The process begins in our nature, whether we are a gambler or not. If we are we are a fatalist. Gamblers look at situations different from a strategist. Those who gamble are always ready to exploit a weakness or opening. It might be a gamble we can make it across the train tracks before the train arrives or we can add more water to a recipe without altering its taste in a noticeable way. The shift to becoming a gambler may not be perceptible. The gambler may change very little or not at all. The change may not occur to the level at which anyone notices. But as a gambler people are viewed as competitors. To win is to gain an advantage regardless of howsoever small, other people must be viewed as competitors to ensure a win. But if others are competitors humans the gambler is faced with two possible choices. The gambler can engage in a war of all against all, or he can find someone to mediate between contestants. To do this the adjudicator needs to have a monopoly on violence. But the adjudicator must also have control over property. To adjudicate disputes necessitates access to property. This is the dilemma of the state. To adjudicate between competitions the state becomes the ultimate competitor. To reduce division the state must be the largest source of division. To reduce multiple conflicts from every direction the state acquires a monopoly on power. This helps to ward off smaller conflagrations. But in the end, the state is devoid of all options but that of overarching power. In the reality of Satan, might makes right and the end justifies the means. There is no basis for law other than the opinion of the lawgiver. There is no other source of legitimacy for a lawgiver than in the power to make and enforce the law. The law and the state do not produce a stable environment. It was said that to quell division, the state must overpower all competitors. To understand why the state becomes the focus of everyone's wrath, imagine a nation that needs to finance a war. The state creates a law that authorizes the collection of taxes. It establishes a bureaucracy that collects funds for the war effort and directs the war. But once the war is over does the state disband or does it find new sources of legitimacy? The nation needs roads and so a bureaucracy is created to collect money to build roads. Another office is created to identify places that need roads and find contractors to build them. The state is able to continuously find new reasons why it needs to exist, but at the cost of absorbing more and more of the nation's resources. Other people realise they are paying taxes for roads and schools they get little or no use from. Perhaps the roads built are not in their location or they have no kids. The underserved voter demands they get old age security and hospital care. The provision of new services requires new bureaucracies. With every passing year, new needs and new demands for money are found and new or larger bureaucracies are needed. The state grows larger and its budget continues to grow and still new needs are discovered. The problem is, the state manifest power or fate. It has no existence other than fate, manifest. The state can only take money from taxpayers to provide services to the entitled, a process referred to as robbing Peter to pay Paul. The state has no income or skills its one skill is the redistribution of wealth. The state exists because Peter does not trust Paul and Paul does not trust Peter. There may be good reason for this, if they are fatalists. But those who have faith in Jesus, this mistrust of others is demonic and unacceptable. Indeed, it is not possible to claim faith in Christ while asking the state to protect you from the possible actions of the people of Christ. But there is more. The state in its regulatory capacity acquires control over the property of the nation and its people. There is no path to the control of people than by means of control over property. It is very difficult to control someone who eschews property ownership, as is the case with tramps. In such cases the only recourse for the state is to control the physical being of the recalcitrant offender. But even this requires that the state control a lot of resources. Without the physical means of exerting control, the plaintiff has no recourse but to nag the offender. From this relationship of state to subject we derive the idea of a liability. When two agents have a claim on the same property, the claim of the one represents capital and the claim of the other represents a liability or a competing claim on the capital of a private owner. This claim represents a risk to the capital of the private owner. What is not recorded is the prior claim which precedes and preempts the claims of the private and public owner. This is the claim of God which he makes on all physical assets. As the creator, God is the supreme owner of all things physical. By disputing God's claim mankind creates risk and becomes a liability. Risk is inherent in competition and by disputing God's sovereign claims mankind creates risk and defines himself as a liability. By doing nothing more than disputing God's right to the fruits of his labor, Satan created a confrontational environment. This translated to the real world, created the necessity for the state. There are only two options, once competition enters the picture. We can have all-out war or a hierarchy in which the highest authority retains a monopoly of power. Competition legitimizes power as the final arbiter in any dispute. This has been referred to as the dual doctrine of power, which is expressed as might makes right and the end justifies the means. By resorting to competition and the regulatory power of the state, we acknowledge there is no right and wrong outside of the law and the regulatory authority of the state. In such a scenario, God becomes irrelevant. Anything that can increase division and the sense of competition works in Satan's favor. The true division is between God and Satan and between those of the spirit and those of the flesh. This division creates two distinct realities and strategies for dealing with our human problems. But this division is also the division between cooperation and competition. Those live in the reality formed by God have faith and so do not compete, they cooperate. By the very process of coming to faith, they eschew competition. Yet, this is the very thing Satan has embraced and by embracing competition, He creates a false sense of division and the need for the state that continues and exacerbates the process right up to the establishment of the new world order, which is the completion of the Tower of Babel.